Greetings to all of God's people. This is Mordecai Joseph. Uh, we are now in lesson 44. And let's go to Isaiah chapter 29, where we shall read in uh, verses 17 to 24. It is not, or is it not yet a very little while till Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field? Again, God is speaking about the return of his people and the restoration of the land. And the fruitful field be esteemed as a forest. In that day the deaf shall hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of the obscurity and out of the darkness. In other words, remember what we read in Isaiah chapter 6. What God told Isaiah, I want you to go and blind them. Seeing they will see and they will not be able to really see. And hearing they will hear, but they will not be able to, to hear. And, you know, their heart is not going to be able to understand, you know. Otherwise, blind them. Let's put them on the shelf. Conclude them in unbelief. Now, as I say, I ask him at the time, well, how long? Well, it's in the hour of time when God is going to bring back his people. And that's the part of his plan. At the end time. He didn't mean to do it 2,000 years ago when he came. Only a few of them. That's why he said, I'm speaking to them in parables. Because I don't intend for them not to understand. It's only for the few of you that is given. That's the reason why the majority of the people didn't know what he's talking about, spiritually speaking. Because he blinded them. He was not willing to give them the understanding. Even his own disciples sometimes didn't understand and he had to explain to them what it meant. And so at this time, he's going to reverse the process. In that day, the deaf shall hear, as before that he couldn't. And then the blind shall see, because now they couldn't. And verse 19, the humble also shall increase their joy in the eternal, and the poor among them shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. For the terrible one is brought to nothing, speaking of the, the enemy that will come against his people. The scornful one is consumed. A lot of people are scorning the way, the way, you know, the way of God, the law of God, the Torah of God, the teachings of God, the salvation of God. And then the one through whom that God is saving them. And who will watch for iniquity are cut off. And they, that is, and all who, who watch for iniquity are cut off. In other words, God is going to cut off the sinners. Who make a man an offender by a word and lay a snare for him who reproves in the gate. They don't like people that come and tell them what the truth is all about. And that's unfortunately the nature of the people of Israel today. And the turn aside the just by empty words. So they just teach them lies instead of truth. You go to heaven. You have a rapture. The law is done away with. You live by grace. You don't need to keep the Sabbath. You're spiritual. You can eat all the pork and swine that you want. The law is done away with. So forth and so forth. They turn aside the just by empty words. They're not words of truth. But if so, the, the words of the false prophets, they're called, you know, windbags. Empty in their head. There is no truth in them. Verse 22. Therefore, thus says the Eternal who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob. Jacob. The true church. Jacob shall not now be ashamed. Nor shall his face now grow pale. But when he sees his children, the work of my hands in his midst, they will hallow my name. And hallow the Holy One of Jacob. No more. No more having contempt for their God and their Creator and their Sabbath and their holy days 
and the way and the teachings and the salvation and the Savior. They're going to hallow my name. And this is the one that became Christ who is speaking here about his own church, Jacob. And they will hallow one, the, you know, hallow the Holy One of Jacob and fear the God of Israel. This also who erred in spirit will come to understanding and those who complained will learn doctrine. Or Torah in Hebrew. You see? And I'm going to hate it because there are people in Israel who think that they don't have freedom because they're not allowed to desecrate the Sabbath. And they look upon it as a horrible thing. And the majority of them are rebellious and swine eaters. They call it ham, pork. A lot of them in Israel, they went to the nations, they learned their ways, they come back to Israel, they say, I want to eat ham. And I have the right to eat ham, I live in democracy. And I have the right to desecrate the Sabbath, I live in democracy. Well, God says, this also who erred in spirit will come to understanding, and those who complained, they complained about the law of God. What a burden. Who hate, you know, who wants it? You know, just give me grace. They complained, they will learn doctrine now, they will learn the law, they'll learn the Torah. They're not going to rebel against the ways of God anymore. So in chapter 30, we continue the story. In verse 18, where you read, Therefore the Eternal will wait that he may be gracious to you. Speaking about his people Israel. And therefore he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you. For the Eternal is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. Zion is a symbol of the whole nation. And they're going to be in Jerusalem. Well, the people of Jerusalem, the people of God, chosen seed of Jacob, the holy seed, the one he never rejected, just punished. And you shall weep no more. He will be very gracious to you. See? Grace is imputed only, only, when there is obedience, as a consequence, people are talking about law versus grace. Even to raise such an issue shows an ignorance. What do you mean law you know, versus grace? Grace is a part of the law. The Torah teaches grace. How can you separate one from the other? Just like saying head versus body. That's nonsense. The head and the body are one. And so is grace in the, in the law. The Torah, it's all one. You don't divide. Christ is not divided. His religion is not divided. His teaching is not divided. His book is not divided. Men did it. His church, you know, his people. New covenant, old covenant. They're all one. Different stages of it, different phases of it, but they're all one. And so in verse 19, For the people shall dwell in Zion and Jerusalem, you shall weep no more. He will be very gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. And though the Eternal gives you the bread of adversity and the order of affliction, that is, because of your iniquities in the past, yet your teachers will not be moved into a corner anymore as they are today. The one that stands at the gate and rebukes, so to speak, or teaches the truth, they say, get out of the way, who wants to hear you? You speak to us grace, and I will let you in. But your eyes shall see your teachers, and your ears will hear a word behind you, saying, This is 
the way. Right? This is the way. Hey, this is not Christianity. This is not Judaism. This is the way. Speak the language of God for a change. This is the way. Walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand, or whenever you turn to the left, you will also defile the covering of your images of silver and so forth. In other words, you, you'll just get rid of all the, all the abominations that you created. And today, to this very day, they still do it in so many ways. And people are going to obey God and not their own crazy ideas. In verse, verse 23, 26, he talks about uh, all the punishment that is coming upon his people and also the deliverance, you know. In verse 23, and he will give the rain of your seed with which you sow the ground and bread of the increase of the earth and it will be fat and plentiful. In that day your cattle will feed in large pastures. Likewise the oxen and the young donkeys that are, that are, that work the ground will eat cured fodder. In other words, everything is fresh and natural. Agrarian society, back to the land, back to the farm, not the jungles called cities. Where people are on top of each other like sardines, and a tiny little piece of land costs you uh, an eternity of life to pay for it. A land full of iniquity, and God is going to spread His people throughout the whole earth, so to speak. So they're going to be in the land, with their own family, serving God, worshiping God, working with their own hands, with their family all together in one place. Our parents have all strength and you know put their children through the school system. What we call it education, it's anything but education. And then they grow up and they depart from their parents. Their parents hardly can see them. They come to say hello to them, you know, once a year. You know, this is iniquity. This is a part of Babylon. But we're trapped in it because of our iniquities from the beginning of time. We're all paying for it. Because we have all sinned. And so God is going to bring them back to the land where everybody's going to be near where they should be. Verse 26, Moreover, the light of the moon will be as the light of the sun. And today you can hardly see this in the moon because of pollution in the big cities. In other words, it's going to be as it was meant to be, where there is no pollution in the air. Everything is clear, bright, shiny. And so is the mind, and so is the body. And moreover, you know, the, the light of the moon will be as the light of the sun, and the light of the sun will be sevenfold, as the light of seven days, in the day that the Lord binds up the bruise of his people. That's what you read later on. In Isaiah 53, by his stripes we were healed. You see, that's the people that Isaiah is speaking about at that time. This is what God inspired him to write. He is going to, to heal, to bind up the bruise of his people and heals the stroke of their wound. You know, by stripes our wounds have been healed by his own wound. And then verse uh, 27 talks about the coming uh, destruction that God is going to bring upon the people of the earth because of their wickedness and the rejection of the ways of God. And so we go now to uh, chapter 31, verses 4 and 9. For thus says the Eternal, the Lord, that is, uh, thus the Eternal has spoken to me, Isaiah is speaking, as a lion roars and a young lion over his prey, when the multitude of shepherds is summoned against him, he will not be afraid of their voice, nor be disturbed by their noise. So the Eternal of hosts will come down to fight for Mount Zion and for its hill, for his people, that is. As you can read in Zechariah 14, 
In the Desho, he sits then on the Mount of Olives. When he comes back to his own, he's going to deliver them from the enemy and from themselves. Verse 5. Like the birds flying about, so will the Eternal of hosts defend Jerusalem. Defending, he will also deliver it. Passing over, he will preserve it. He never forsook his people. His eyes are upon it day and night. You have to realize that. This is what he said about it. And verse 6. Return to him against whom the children of Israel have deeply revolted. So verse 7. For in that day every man shall throw away his idols of silver and his idols of gold in all their sin, which your own hands have made for themselves. So again, he's talking about back and forth. Uh, but his people being rebellious, but he's going to deliver them. And then verse 8, Then Assyria shall fall by the sword, not of men, speaking about the perpetual enemy of Israel, and the sword, not of mankind, shall devour him, but he shall flee from the sword, and his young men shall become forced labor. You know, they always like to make the children of Israel... Uh, uh, their own captives, put them in labor camps, and cremate them, incinerate them. Well, God is going to uh, give them a uh, taste of their own medicine. He's going to put them into forced labor for his own people. And they shall cross over to his stronghold for fear, and his princess shall be afraid of the banner, says the Eternal, whose fire is in Zion, and whose furnace is in Jerusalem. God is going to, you know, he's speaking uh, both ways here, you know, physically and spiritually. He's going to burn the wicked. And the lake of fire that he's talking about, you know, it's not uh, ever burning hell, you know, in a certain place under the ground. He's speaking about a literal place around Jerusalem where he's going to throw the, you know, the criminals into it. Like they did in the days of old. The garbage and the refuse and the criminals were thrown into that fire and they were consumed and became ashes. But God is going to, uh, when he comes down, that's the first thing he's going to do. You know, there are going to be hundreds of uh, thousands and probably many millions there of enemies of Israel. Going to, God is going to incinerate them. You read it in Revelation 14. That's going to be the burial ground. It's going to be ashes. They're not going to exist in hellfire. Screaming and yelling and kicking. Let's go to chapter 32 and verses 1 and 2. Behold, the king will reign in righteousness. Speaking about Christ, the Messiah, the God of Israel. The one sent from the Father. And princes will rule with justice. Now the apostle said, and like Peter, what shall we get? We followed you. He said, don't worry about it. You're going to be sitting on twelve thrones, ruling the twelve tribes of Israel. Because that's the church. Israel. Twelve tribes. Can't spiritualize that. But people did. Once they begin to drink, you know, the wine of the fornication of the great whore, they begin to spiritualize everything. And so it says, princes will rule with justice, and men will be as a hiding place from the wind, and a cover from the tempest, as rivers of water in a dry place, as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. So you see about the deliverance there. Again, of the people of God. Let's go to chapter 33 and verse 2. I mean, you can read the whole book from the beginning until the end, and you, you'll get so much more so, but obviously you can't cover everything. But at least to give you a very thorough background, so you can see we're not talking about an obscure scripture or my interpretation or any man's interpretation. This is God speaking to you through his own words, which you can take at any given time and read it for yourself. 
once you put on the glasses of God and take off the glasses of the world that, you know, people have on. And before that, a drunk man has to be sobered up first before he can, uh, he can put some sense into his head. So we have to sober up first, you know, and get rid of the wine of, uh, of the counterfeit church out of our system and then begin to drink the new wine instead of mixing the wine that is old and the wine that is new. As Christ said, you can't do it. You can't mix the wine, the old wine and the new wine. You gotta get rid of the old wine first. Then you drink the new wine and you'll know, and you understand truth. And people have done just that. They retain the old wine, at least a measure of it, and now they drunk a new one, but not mixed the whole thing together and came up with a new concoction. It doesn't work that way. And so in chapter 33, uh, verse 2, we read, O Eternal, be gracious to us. We have waited for you. You see, this statement is constantly repeated because God put it in the mouth of the prophet to tell to his people because that was the desire of the righteous among Israel who remained righteous. And then, by analogy, all the rest of Israel wants to come to repentance. That's going to be their attitude also. We waited for you. We knew you would come back as unworthy as we are and redeem us. Because they said he will. And so he said, we waited for you. Be their arm every morning. Our salvation also is in the time of trouble. You know, the trouble of Jacob that is to come. Verse 3. At the noise of the tumult, the people shall flee. When you lift yourself up, the nation shall be scattered, and your plunder shall be gathered, like the gathering of the caterpillar is the running to and fro of locusts. He shall run upon them. It is the God of Israel. He's going to, you know, after the enemies of Israel. That's after, you know, he punished Israel enough. When they came, you know, he brought Israel to their senses, bringing back to him. Verse 5. The Eternal is exalted. For he dwells on high. He has filled Zion with justice and righteousness. That's his people. Jacob, the church, the true church, the body of witnesses. We're not going to witness being righteous to all the nations of the earth. I'm going to bring them into the orbit of the way of God. And so he has filled Zion with justice and righteousness. Verse 6, wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your, of your times. And the strength of salvation, the fear of the eternal is his treasure. People don't think about it as the fear of God is his treasure. It's going to get, you know, keep you out of trouble when you walk in the fear of God, not into mischief. And verse 10, Now I will rise, says the eternal. Now I will be exalted. Now I will lift myself up. You shall conceive chaff. You shall bring forth stubble. That's a consequence. That's what a false religion is all about. Your breath is fire shall devour you, and the people shall be like the burnings of lime. Like thorns cut up, they shall be burned up in the fire. I'm speaking about the destructive fire that is going to leave another root nor branch. It's going to be ashes. And here you, he says in verse 13, Hear you who are afar off what I have done, and you who are near. Acknowledge my might. Jesus Christ is speaking unto his people, the God of Israel, the Messiah, the one Judah is going to recognize and Israel is going to know. They will no longer be rebellious and wallow in their own vomit, thinking they are walking in the faith and the truth and the light. You know, planning on a vacation in heaven, never, never land. 
fairy tale stories. That's what they live by. Verse 14. The sinners in Zion are afraid. And they better be afraid when he comes. Fearfulness has seized the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with the everlasting burnings? He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly, and only the Torah can tell you what is right and what is righteous. He who despises the gain of the oppressions, and you see those really, really religious leaders, you know, they oppress the poor, they've always done that. They live on high. You know, you walk on the, uh, you drive on the 405 here in Southern California, you see those pa- that palace of one of those uh, groups that call themselves people of God. And they've got diamonds on their hands, and they sit on throne, thrones, you know, not even ordinary chairs, they look like uh, thrones of kings. They make, you know, gain of, of the people, and others are doing likewise, in different ways. I always talk about money. You know, give, give God his money, what the mean is give me my money. And so he says, that's the kind of people they are. But the people who despise the gain of oppressions, there is nothing wrong with tithing, by the way. I'm not talking about against tithing. I'm talking about the abuse of it. And who gestures with his hands, refusing bribes, who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed and shuts his eyes from seeing evil, he will dwell on high. His place of defense will be the fortress of rocks. Bread will be given him. His water will be sure. Your eyes will see the king. People now don't see him. They don't recognize him. They don't acknowledge him. The majority of the children of Israel don't. There are those who acknowledge the king, but they have a false concept of him and reject his law. So he says, your eyes will see the king in his beauty, and they will see the land that is very far off. Your heart will meditate on terror. Where is the scribe at that time? Where is he who weighs? Where is he who counts the towers? You will not see a fierce people, a people of obscure speech, beyond perception of a stammering tongue that you cannot understand. Look upon Zion, the city of our appointed feasts. That's the who. You know, we're covering the subject. Who and what is the church of God? You're going to look upon Zion, the city of our appointed feast, the symbol of the nation. It's like you say, Washington, D.C. You're meeting, you're meeting, they know, the capital of the American nation. So it's symbolic for the nation. And so look upon Zion, the city of our appointed feasts. Your eyes will see Jerusalem, a quiet home, a tabernacle, that is a dwelling place, that will not be taken down, no more war. People are not going to be fighting over that city, claiming that's our capital, that's our city, it belongs to us. And nations of the earth are siding with them, and God says, no, this is my city, and I gave it to my people, Israel. No one else. And not one of its stakes will ever be removed. As now they're trying to partition the land all over again. And many Israelites are involved in it because they don't even know who they are. Nor will any of its cords be broken. But there the majestic eternal will be for us, speaking by the people of Jacob, a place of broad rivers and streams in which no gully of the ship with oars will sail. And are going to come you know, against us with armies to destroy us. No majestic ships pass by. For the eternal is our judge. The eternal is our lawgiver. You know, the Torah. The eternal is our king. 
He will save us. This is Jacob speaking one thing, you know, when he comes to his senses. He will save him. And so you see the whole story from the beginning until the end. When you put on the glasses of God, it's very clear. You're not blind anymore. You're not deceived. You're not confused. You don't have vomit. You think it's truth. It's a mixture of truth and error. And so let's continue. Uh, in verse uh, 23, your tackle is loosed. They could not strengthen their mass. They could not spread the sail. Then the prey of great plunder is divided. Speaking about the enemies, and the lion take the prey. In verse 24, and the inhabitant will not say, inhabitant of Jerusalem, I am sick. Sick spiritually, sick and tired of this world, sick of my own iniquities, whatever it may be. He's not going to say it anymore. The people who dwell in it will be forgiven their iniquity. Will be. All Israel shall be saved. Because that's the true church of God, which God never rejected. His people. Chapter 35. Verse 1. The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as a rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice. Even with joy and singing, the glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the excellence of Carmel and Sharon. Or Sharon in English. They shall see the glory of the eternal, the excellency of our God. All are speaking from the point of view of Jacob, of Israel, of the twelve tribes, of the bride of God. Of the church. Then we continue. They shall see the glory of the eternal, the excellency of our God. And then he continues by saying, Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, Be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God, he will come and save you. So, Israel always knew that God is going to deliver them. God punished them, yes, but he's going to deliver them, bring them back. He's going to heal them. He's going to cleanse them and purge them with his own blood. The whole process was there. The prophets knew it. Gave it to Israel. As Paul said, the gospel was preached unto them. It's nothing new. Because they are his people, his church, his wife. He's going to remarry them once he washes them and cleanses them and purifies them. And now he's going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. That's what it's talking all about. He never meant to make a covenant with the nations. He never meant to marry the nations or the so-called the church. You know, which is another entity, a counterfeit one. No, he meant to bring back his people to himself, wash them, cleanse them and purify them, then remarry them now spiritually, so to speak. In other words, give them the Holy Spirit, make a new covenant with them, his own people, and make them fulfill the commission for which they've been called to begin with, is the firstborn to all the nations of the earth. And when that is done, verse 5, we read, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. You know, the question of Isaiah, how long? Verse, in chapter 6, And the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the land shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing, or, or, well, sing. For water shall burst forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. And that's speaking not only about the physical creation of the land of Israel, and the land of God, but also the spirit of Israel is going to be revived likewise. And, uh, 
Verse 8, And a highway shall be there, and a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. The unclean is unholy. And God called Israel holy people, the holy seed. And he told them, I am holy, therefore you be holy as I am holy. Keep the Sabbath. You become holy. Eat clean food. You become holy. Eat unclean food. You become unholy. So the unclean will not pass over it. But it shall be for others who are clean. Whoever walks the road, although, although a fool, shall not go astray. Because God is going to bring repentance to his, his people. No lion shall be there, no enemy, no devouring beast. Nor shall any ravenous beast go upon it, either on four or on two. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the eternal shall return. How do you return unless you were thrown out of it? And only the people of Israel were thrown out of that land. So they're going to return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. That's what you read also in Revelation, chapter 7, verse 17, 21, 4. This is what John is recording. This is what the angel is telling him. This is what God is telling him. This is what Christ is telling him. The same message, the same book, the same people. That's why in Revelation, chapter 12, you read about the church that is Israel. The one with the twelve tribes, the twelve stars, and the moon. And the one that gave birth to Jesus Christ, and that's Israel. And the one that was persecuted and afflicted, and that's Israel. And the others who were grafted with it. But still, Israel, it's always Israel. The majority is Israel. That's what the emphasis is. They read it from God's point of view, not man's. Then you see it very clearly. Then you begin to read the Bible for the first time in your life, and you're going to see it totally differently. Because now your eyes are open to see it properly from God's point of view, with the eyeglasses of God on Chapter 40, verse 1. Comfort, yes, comfort my people. This is what God is saying. This is what God is saying to his people. This is what God is saying to his disciples, the one that became Christ. Comfort my people. My people Israel, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem. Speaking about the city is symbolic of the nation, that is all the nation of Israel, both Jews and uh, from the south kingdom of Judah, also called house of Israel and the northern kingdom. And all of them become one. They are no longer, go, longer going to be divided in their own minds or hearts or any other place. So it says, comfort them. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. By whom? Obviously, by the one that died for them. For she has received from the eternal's hand double for all her sins. Yes, she's going to get double for her sins, but not rejected. Never rejected. Verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way. The way. Always the way. You know, you have to update your vocabulary. Prepare the way. And the eternal. Make straight in the desert a high way for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain <clears throat> and hill, every mountain and hill brought law. The crooked places shall be made straight, 
speaking spiritually, not only physically, because the religion of Israel today, both Judah and Israel, is crooked, full of vomit. Everything's got to be made straight, and the rough place is smooth. The glory of the Eternal shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Eternal has spoken. So why do people say that that mouth of Eternal say that he rejected his people and now he's got somebody else? They make him a liar. Verse 6, the voice said, cry out, and he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. In other words, people without the truth, they're dead, dead in their sins. The grass is with, you know, withers, the flower fades. In other words, that's, that's the way the people of God are. Unfortunately, they're dry. Even many of the people that come to the Holy Spirit are of the churches of God. But they talk to them about the Word of God. They have no interest in it. They want to talk about anything else, even when they come to services on the Sabbath. What do they want to talk about? Anything but the Word of God. A dry ground, parched ground to be with, unfortunately. Many of them are. They do not, you know, hunger or thirst for righteousness. You don't see rivers of living waters flowing out of them. You don't see them revel in the Word of God, in the law of God, in the truth of God. They've been castrated, so to speak, by, you know, many years. But those who took all the glory to themselves and would not allow the brethren to grow up, to discuss the word of God, to go back and forth, to sharpen one another, to have dominion over them, exercise control and dominion and authority over their faith, like the Gentiles, rulers of the Gentiles, because that was the spirit that was in them. A lot of people are, are because of that, like the withered ground, you know, the withered grass, parched ground, desert, wilderness, they need to be revived. He brought back to life, and that's what God is going to do to all of his people. And he'll remove the evil shepherds that made merchandise of them and, and uh, made themselves fat, you know, at their own expense. Going to remove those who abused his people. He's going to appoint over them shepherds that will teach them. Be like Timothy, you know, who by nature will care for people. And so God says that's kind of, that's the state of the mind of his people. And that's what I was talking about, you know, all the people who consider themselves to be the churches, you know, of God, the people of God, and all the, all the rest of the children of Israel. You know, all the churches out there and the synagogues out there, many of them, you know, are not different. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the, our God stands forever. O Zion, speaking about the people of Israel, or symbolized, you know, by the city. And therefore, you can use it as the church. But the church, when you say the church, what do you mean the church? Speaking about Israel. The leaders of Israel who are righteous. Servants of God who are righteous. You who bring good tidings. Get up into a high mountain of Jerusalem. You who bring good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength. Lift, up, lift it up. Be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. And the people of Jerusalem later on. Many of them are going to be righteous people. They're going to tell the whole world, all of Israel, the whole world, this is your God. And you can read it in uh, Zechariah 12, where the people of the land, in the land of Judah, are going to say, well, the people of Jerusalem, you know, the inhabitants of Jerusalem are going to be my strength in the Lord. Because there are many there, you know, with all the confusion that is there, because of the centuries of confusion in the religion, still retain a good measure of the knowledge of God. And uh, they keep the Sabbath and holidays and all that, not perfectly, but to the degree they understand, they have a great zeal, like in the days of Paul, as he said to his own people, you have the zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. 
But nevertheless, they have the zeal of God. So they, when, when the eyes of those people are open, they, their zeal is going to be directed properly, not misdirected. And God goes in, he's going to use them, he's going to use, you know, the people among them who are righteous, and the people is going to call and open their eyes. You know, the story is not over yet, before the coming of Christ. An awful lot of work is going to be done in between. So they're going to say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God, behold the Lord God shall come. Right before his coming, you are going to see this message again coming out of Jerusalem itself. And that's where the two witnesses also are going to be, and many other righteous people. We're going to turn to God. Behold, the eternal God shall come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. So we're going to see an awful lot of things still happening. But God is in charge and he's not rejected his people and he's still going to use his people and especially the righteous among them wherever they may be to tell all of his people wherever they are Behold your God, he's coming. You know, come out of Babylon, go back to him. And he will feed his flock like a shepherd and he will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young See the example that he gave us in contrast to the other that call themselves shepherds that God describes as people, you know, who step all over his people and make, you know, merchandise out of them. And that's the attitude that God has. He doesn't call them lay members, you know, puts them down and walks all over them. He takes them into his bosom. Well, when you see a shepherd like that, you know that shepherd is of God. But also you have to uh, make sure that Whatever he's preaching is also of God. A lot of people who are sincere and good, a lot of teachers, who behave that way, but, you know, they, they don't necessarily have the truth, as they should. So they have to have both. And this is what God is telling his people. Chapter 41, continue the story, and you go on and on and on and on like that. But, you know, we need to make it very plain. We need to reorient our minds, brainwash ourselves, so to speak, properly, and, you know, have a proper propaganda, so to speak. And so it can be turned right side up. And one scripture, two, three, four, one here, one there, doesn't do it. You've got to have a thorough washing and cleansing and purging and purification and removal of the, of the wine of the fornication, the, you know, the blindness and the darkness. And you need to see it you know, in such a manner that it's sort of an avalanche of truth coming at you and you cannot escape it and you cannot deny it. Especially when you take the book into your own hands and read it for the first time in your life from A to Z, from Genesis 1-1 to the last verse, and you see it from God's point of view, not what the lies that have been heaped upon us were all about. Chapter 41, keep silence, verse 1, before me, coastlands, and let the people renew their strength. Let them come near, let them speak, let us come near together for judgment. So God is talking about all the nations of the earth. Because God is pleading with all mankind. And in verse 8, but you, Israel, you are my servant. Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. God is making it very plain. Who is the church of God? Who are his people? Who are the chosen ones? In spite of them. Who can spiritualize this verse? All the others. Only liars. Verse 9. You, whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest regions, and say to you, you are my servant, I have chosen you, and have not cast you away. As many people have lied to you about it, and made you believe it, where you don't even know who you are. 
And so you find the majority of the children of Israel were in blindness and in ignorance and in darkness and lived in a parched ground, thinking that they are filled when they are not, when they are empty, being told lies. I never cast you away, God said. Are you going to call God a liar? Fear not, verse 10, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Behold all those who are incensed against you. And you're going to see an awful lot of them. There's going to be the trouble of Jacob, martyrdom. And has been a lot of it, you know. The world has seen an awful lot of it in the past. Israel had felt a lot of that on his back. Both of the house of Judah and of Israel. Especially the righteous among them. And uh, even in the days of the New Testament. But the people of God, or the children of Israel, were obedient to the law of God. And then the false church rose and began to take over. And the Gentiles came in with, by droves. And brought their own Babylon with them. And perverted everything and changed everything. And then the remnant that remained faithful of the children of God and some of the other ones who were grafted and also remained faithful to the God of Jacob that became known in the first uh, century and the second and the third, fourth century, you know, as the Nazarenes, in other words, the follower of the men from Nazareth. And many lies had been taught about them and when the church took over, it became you know, the light and the truth and the righteousness and the Israel of God. Well, the true people became the liars and the heretics. And that's how they regarded them. And that's how history was written from the point of view of the false church about the true brethren, the true people of God, the kinsmen of, of, of Jesus Christ. It's flesh and blood, so to speak, from the house of Judah and then other of the nations of Israel that uh, were converted by the, the, the disciples who went you know, among them. And the world around them began to look upon them as, as heretics. You know, here's a, a couple of quotes. Uh, one is uh, by Jerome, one of the Catholic fathers. In the fourth century, in writing a commentary about Isaiah 8.14, he says, the Nazarenes, speaking about that group that retained the faith, the true believers of God, members of the children of Israel, the church, the true church, he says, the Nazarenes accept Messiah in such a way that they do not cease to observe the old law. How horrible. The Torah. They never cease to observe the Torah. Because they've never been taught otherwise. Christ never told them otherwise. He said, think now that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. You know, that is the Torah of the prophets. I didn't come to destroy. I came to magnify. And so, with contempt, we began to speak about the church of God. The true church of God. The Israel of God. True Israelites. And then those who were drafted among them who became members of the commonwealth of Israel. You know? That's how light became darkness and darkness became light. And people, even today, in our midst, you tell them about the Torah, about the law of God, says, hey, I don't want to hear that. Tell them about the New Testament. But great. Man, did I experience that in the last 35 years, you know, being with brethren who call themselves people of God. Many of them are. And many of them are still deceived, partly. And then another one says, they, speaking about the Nazarenes, have no different ideas, but confess everything exactly as 
the Torah proclaims, the law proclaims it. And in the Jewish fashion. Oh, how horrible. The Jewish stuff. Continue to quote, except for their belief in Messiah. And that was the only difference, the only difference between them and the rest of the Jews. They believed in the Messiah, the rest of the Jews didn't. But otherwise, they did confess everything exactly as the law, the Torah, proclaims it and in the Jewish fashion. Except for their belief in Messiah. But, since they are still fettered by the Torah, by the, by the law, that is circumcision, the Sabbath, and the rest, they are not in accord with Christians. So what is a Christian but a heretic from the point of view of God? And that is written by Epiphanius. Panarion, that is in the book called Panarion or Tractate or whatever, 29, and that was written in the 4th century. And yet, the one who is the Nazarene, the man of Nazareth, Jesus Christ, the God of Israel, the Savior, Yeshua, the God is going to deliver his own people, Israel, who is going to restore the kingdom to Israel and appoint the twelve disciples over the tribes of Israel and David over all the nation and bring them back to his land, the land of the Lord, and marry them and atone for them. Whoever told a different story, he said, knowing that this is exactly what was going to happen, he says, do not think that I have come to destroy the Torah or the prophets. And yet people claim that he did. And that's an absolute lie. Well, anyway, we're going to stop at this point saying greetings to all of God's people. This is Mordecai Joseph. Until next time. The preceding message was taken from the World Wide Website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions? The Bible has answers.